Hey, Al. Hey, Barry. Why is it hard to explain a metaphor to a rogue? Why? Because they're always taking things, literally. It's time for Compelled Duel. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Compelled Duel. I'm Barry. And I'm Al. And we are a single-player, co-DM'd D&D 5e actual play podcast. Previously on Compelled Duel. I have been in your corner for your entire life, Ferrora, but now that support actually has some power behind it. If this is what you being in my corner looks like, I would rather stand alone. I came here with a peaceful solution, Fee. The path that I am offering is the one of mercy. Please, think it over. Oh fuck, things are bad, aren't they? Well, they're certainly not good. Ferora, good morning. You've never met your Uncle Boreas. We just need a way to pressure my father to stop all of this. This is going to lead to needless bloodshed. It already has. Undercutting the legitimacy of the war is something that could perhaps be done. We would just have to present the relevant evidence to the Emperor of Vogvoldur. I don't see what other choice we have. We will pray to Kimrel that you and your brother's political acumen is faster than Morland's itchy trigger finger. I'm angry! I'm angry all the time! So am I! And when the time comes, I am going to make that anger mean something. But until then, I'm not going to misdirect it, and I'm not going to let it make me worse. And neither should you. Get out of my house, Morlin! I have a plan, and I don't have time to explain it. Give me your want. What the hell do you mean you have a plan? Look me in the eyes and tell me that we are going to run from this. Give me your wand, Fee. This is our crisis deadline. Do what you have to do. And your father starts to smile. Hello, children. You're late. Let's talk. So, Leo, standing in front of you in the doorway to your Aunt Nora's sitting room is your father. Just behind him, shadowing him, is his wife, Archduchess Alasha Dakarin, and your aunt is further in the room. Behind you are your sister, your boyfriend, your sister's boyfriend and girlfriend, your dog, your twin cousins, Lark and Adra, and your sister's friend, Erevae Enmar. As your father tells you that he wants to talk, Alasha looks past him, smiles very sharply, and says, Ms. Enmar, Ms. Javaris, 
a lot of people have been looking for the two of you. Arave takes a step back. Sabine reaches out and just puts a hand on her arm very comfortingly and says, Well, how fortunate for you that you found us then. Not that we are planning on making our presence a secret. Given that we have both chosen to back Lairil and Ferrara in their efforts to stop this war. Arave looks sideways at her, her eyes huge behind her goggles. And then you watch her grit her teeth. And she says, yes, we have. I'm finished hiding. Leo turns around and looks back over at Zed. He doesn't have a spellcasting focus on him because his knife is zapped into the bracer. What would I need to roll to try to get a vague message across? It would depend on what and how. Just a sentiment of, trust me, don't stop me. Roll persuasion. Oh! Ten. You try to get this message across to Zed. He gives you kind of a weird look, and then he's going to step forward, so he is very obviously backing you. Forgive me my lack of decorum, your majesty. I don't exactly give a shit. This isn't going to end well for you. Shut up, Zed. Your father looks at Zed and then looks at you, still smiling. So this silly little tantrum the two of you are throwing is backed by... And he starts ticking off on his fingers. The previously missing daughter of a pair of professors. The leader of a cheap dance troupe. Whoever this oaf is. And he looks at the captain and kind of tilts his head and goes, And this must be the Pirate King of the Zephyr Isles. I expected you to cut a more. And his lip curls again. Intimidating figure. But no matter. There's a gallows in Elnaeus with your name on it. I'm sure we can arrange another step stool. From behind you, the captain, very brightly, says, Aye, you know I enjoy it when greedy tyrants have heard of me. Usually means they know what to do to greedy tyrants. And Zed says, The best you could do was oaf? Really? I've been called worse by my grandmother. Everybody shut up! Leo is just standing there with his hand white-knuckled around Fee's wand and the other one clenched at his side. He looks over at Sabine, remembering how she just made him that promise to stop Fee and Zed from trying to keep him from doing what he's about to do. She did do that. What is he about to do? Leo unclenches his free hand at his side and then slowly raises both of his hands up over his head. It's over. He's won. And then he's going to turn back to his father. You win. You let everybody else walk away from this, and I walk away with you. I turn myself in. Willingly. Behind you, Fee says, What?! You watch Zed start to move forward, and then you hear a jingle and a dimension door appears in front of him, and he falls right through it as he's trying to step forward in front of you. 
Leo is not moving. He is not looking at Fee. He is still locking eyes with his father, both hands in the air. You need someone to blame all of this on. Kimbrel knows the lies you have built this war on aren't going to hold up. Everybody else walks. I come back to Australia with you. I take the fall. It's not a bad deal, father. Roll insight really quick. 26! You have actually managed to surprise your father. He tilts his head a little bit, raises his eyebrows, and he says, Refreshing to see you thinking of others for a change. And then he nods at the wand in your hand. Put it down. Leo's gonna put the wand down on the floor and kick it over to him. Alasha pulls out her wand and trains it on you as your father reaches down and picks up the wand that you just kicked over to him. He nods, seeming satisfied, and he says, All right. If everyone else here can be cooperative, then I think we have a deal. And he looks at everybody behind you. You start to hear clattering as Zed runs from the backyard. Leo is going to attempt to give Fee a very weighted look that says, trust me. Everyone else is physically holding Fee back. She is, like, trying to lunge forward and get into the middle of this conversation. Sabine has, like, an arm brace across her chest, and the captain is standing between the two of you. She looks at you wide-eyed, desperate, and says, Don't do this. It was always gonna end like this, Fee. Leo is going to slowly put his hands down and walk over to where Morlin and Alasha are standing. Everybody else here walks away. Your father looks at you and then looks past you at Fee. Roll insight. 17. That doesn't do it. He looks back at you, and he smiles again, and he says, Certainly, darling. I applaud your maneuver in this situation. Leo has always had a very hard time looking his father in the eye. But he meets his gaze and does not waver. You know, you were right. I didn't deserve the throne. I was self-absorbed and childish and arrogant. And I didn't think of anybody other than myself. Your father, stepping closer to you, still holding Fee's wand, says, The self-awareness is very admirable. Would you like a trophy for it? Or can we get on with this? No, I think the self-awareness is enough of a reward in itself. I might be a selfish child with delusions of grandeur. But you are a cruel, manipulative, power-hungry, revenge-mad despot, and it has been nothing short of my privilege to do everything I can to spite you. 
At first, it was for my mother. And then it was just for me. But this... Leo reaches down, slaps at the gem on his bracer, and zaps Kimbrel's blade back into his hand. This is for Soren, you son of a bitch! And I'm gonna roll to hit him with a fifth level inflict wounds. As you watch realization dawn on your father's face, and you hear the sounds of Zed crashing back into the foyer after he dead sprinted the entire way back. Roll to hit. 18. Moreland's AC is a 13. You absolutely stab him in the gut with Kimrel's blade. Also, I would say he counts as surprised. Go ahead and roll sneak attack as well. So I would like to use my Kimrel's blade ability to roll max damage on one necromancy spell per day. A fifth level inflict wounds is 7d10. So that is 70 damage outright. I would also like to unload one of my uses of my channel divinity touch of death which allows me to add an additional 23 necrotic damage to the attack. So that is 93 outright. With sneak attack, that is plus 2d6. And then, since the spell is at such close range and I am stabbing him, would I also be able to add the knife damage and one of my sneak attack onto a spell slots from my Kimrel's Blade improvement? Absolutely. So you're going to do max inflict wounds damage, you're going to do your channel divinity damage, and then you're going to roll 5d6, one from the knife, two from your regular sneak attack, and two from your spell sneak attack. Plus five. So my damage from the inflict wounds and channel divinity is 93, plus the damage I did from everything else totals out to 111 damage. You stab your father in the gut with your holy symbol. You channel almost as much magical energy as you can muster into this one stab. You watch that spectral copy of Kimrel's blade that you saw back in Pearlport spin and then sink into his back. And you have in one hit taken your father from full health to 11 hit points. Leo twists the knife, grins in such a way that he is mostly just baring his teeth, and goes, Nice party trick, isn't it? Your father stumbles back off of your knife, presses one hand to the hole that you have just stabbed in his gut. The other one drops your sister's wand, and then makes a sharp gesture and points at you. There is no save against the spell on the first round. And even if there was, he uses three sorcery points to give you disadvantage on your first save against it. Because you have less than 100 hit points, your father casts Power Word Pain on you, and it immediately takes effect. You are very suddenly racked with pain like you have never felt in your life. 
your vision goes completely white and then black. As if from the other end of a long tunnel, you can hear people screaming. After a moment, you realize that one of those people is your sister. And after another longer moment, you realize that another of those people is you. You feel like your skin is trying to turn itself inside out. Like your insides are boiling. Like there is steam rising from your internal organs and it is pushing at your muscles and your skin for an amount of time that you will never be able to quantify. It feels like an eternity passes as this pain hits you and shows no signs of abating. And you just hear screaming. I'm going to ask you to make a disadvantaged con save. Five. Dimly, from far away, you feel yourself hit the floor as this pain just keeps going. It is not getting worse, but that is almost worse, that it it is just not changing, that it has just settled into you. Roll me another con save. 16. You feel pressure against you that your rational brain, as far away as it is right now, knows is probably someone grabbing you. It feels like you are being crushed under the weight of it. It is finally a change in the feeling that you are feeling, but it is a negative one. And you hear some of the screaming stop. Roll me another con save. 19 exactly. Meets it, beats it. You finally, mercifully, pass out. Fee, the sequence of events that unfold in the seconds after you watch your brother stab your father happen almost too quickly for you to process. For a moment, the room is dead silent, and all you can hear is the slow, sanguine drip of your father's blood hitting the floor. And then he grunts, brings up a hand to point at Leo, and Leo just lets out an almost inhuman-sounding shriek of pain. And with that first scream, the entire foyer of your Aunt Nora's house erupts into chaos. You hear your aunt start yelling. Elasha lets out a worried shout and starts moving towards your father as fast as she can. And he just has his eyes fixed on Leo, who drops to the floor and continues screaming. You see your father bring a hand up to the bloody hole that Leo just stabbed into his stomach. And there's this weird grayish silvery glow that surrounds his hand. You see the wound close up, which is fucking weird, because your father is not a healer. 
and never has been. But as he maintains this concentration on the spell, you see that he looks still a little hurt, but definitely not like somebody that should be bleeding out on the floor right now, which he should be. And through all of this, your brother is still just writhing on the floor, sobbing and screaming in agony. What do you do? So the captain and Sabine are still holding me back. I'm going to try and, like, strength check one of my arms free. And I'm going to cast a six-level witch bolt on my dad. Okay, Sabine effectively has you in a grapple check right now. So you're going to roll athletics or acrobatics to break it. And your DC is an 18. So if you do not break this grapple check, I will let you cast the spell, but you will roll with disadvantage per the rules of being grappled. Uh, uh, I'm going to use one of my rerolls. Even worse. Okay, I'll take the disadvantage. Okay, roll to hit with disadvantage. I'm going to use another one of my rerolls because my dice fucking hate me today. Hello? There we go. Uh, that's exactly a 13. Meets it, beats it. Okay, go ahead and roll damage. Okay, so at this level, that's 6d12 damage. I'm going to use Empowered Spell to reroll five of those. 55 lightning damage. Okay. Well, your father had healed himself up miraculously, but all of that healing is pretty much gone now as you reach out and lightning crackles out of your fingers and hits him directly in the chest. He staggers backward with a cry of pain. Leo is still on the floor, screaming to the point that his voice is starting to crackle and break. Out of the corner of your eye, you see Zed skid down to his knees next to him. But what holds more of your attention is the look of pure shock and disbelief that you see on your father's face as he looks at you. Like he can't believe you would dare to do what you just did. Fee snarls at him. I would suggest, father, that you carefully consider your next move. Your father does not get to consider his next move. You see his lip curl, and he opens his mouth to hiss something back at you, and at that exact moment, Elasha makes it over to him from across the foyer, gets one arm around him from behind, and drops a teleport spell. They both disappear with a pop. But whatever spell he just cast on Leo is still in effect. Leo is still just shrieking. You see Zed try to pick him up and get him off the floor. And then Leo lets out the most agonized, pained noise you have ever heard a living creature make. His spine bows upward at an almost impossible angle, and then the screaming stops and he goes limp in Zed's arms. And once again, the room is silent. Fee's going over there. Um, if Sabine and the captain don't let her go, she's going to shocking grasp them. Oh no, Sabine lets you go as soon as your father and Alasha disappear. You have a clear path over to your brother. Cool. Fee goes over there and, like, baseball slides onto the floor. 
as you get over there, you see Zed's hands shaking as he presses one up to the side of Leo's neck. And then he sighs in relief and kind of bows forward. All right, I got a pulse. (laughs) Feeder starts crying. You feel a hand on your shoulder as your Aunt Nora comes over and kneels down next to you. She kind of rubs a couple little circles on your back and goes, It's okay. He's alive. We've got him. She puts her other hand over Leo's chest. You see a ring that she's got on her finger flash and glow with bright silver magical energy, and she casts a lesser restoration on him. Mechanically, it can't do much for him, but it seems to help with some pain relief. He's unconscious, but his face is still very pinched and drawn in pain, and you see his expression relax as she does this. She looks up at Zed, nods sharply, and goes, Get him upstairs, he needs to rest. And then she whips around to look at the two of her children. Adra, I want that security system on and as deadly as you can make it. Lark, you need to go upstairs, call your father, and tell him he needs to come home from work now. Lark and Adra are still just frozen. You see Lark's lower lip wobbling a little bit, like they're about to burst into tears. And Nora snaps, Now! They both scatter to do what she told them to do. Arave, blinking slowly, kind of backs out of the room into the dining room. You get the feeling she needs a second alone to decompress. Zed scoops Leo up, carries him out of the room, and Nora follows them. And you are left alone in the foyer with the captain and Sabine. Fee's gonna try to get the impending meltdown under control. Still on the floor, she just goes... Okay. And she's gonna very carefully stand up, brush off her skirt, and I think she just kind of wraps her arms around herself for a second, takes a deep breath, nods. The captain walks over, skirting around the pool of your father's blood that is still on the floor, and reaches up to kind of tuck a strand of your hair back behind your ear. Deep breaths, lass. It's gonna be all right. Don't! Feet stops and just presses one hand to the base of her throat. Her other hand is shaking at her side. Don't talk to me right now. Don't. Either of you. Just don't. Don't come near me. I. I cannot believe the two of you tried to keep me out of that. I cannot believe you. The captain takes two big steps back. Sabine has not moved from where she's been standing, kind of across the foyer from you, but she shifts a little uncomfortably and looks down at her feet. Before everything happened, Leo messaged me. He said he had an idea that it was our best chance of ending this here, and he made me promise that I wasn't going to let you or Zed stop him. 
that wasn't Leo's decision. And it wasn't yours either. I am not going to be held back on the sidelines like a child. This is my life, it's my family, and you had no right. Sabine starts crying. She is not moved from where she's standing, but she presses a hand over her mouth and muffles a sob into it. The captain looks back and forth between the two of you, realizes that you want the space and Sabine needs someone with her, and walks over and just wraps an arm around her shoulders. Aye, you're right, Fee. It's your life. It's your family. Maybe we were mistaken in thinking that we were part of it. You saw what he did to Leo. And we were supposed to what? Let you run in? Let the same thing happen to you? I saw all I needed to see here today to convince me that we're playing a game with someone who makes defiance look like a walk in the park. So begging your pardon for both of us wanting to keep you safe. Won't happen again. Begging your pardon, Captain, for expecting either of you to trust me to handle myself. And Fee spins on her heel and walks out. Leo, the first thing that comes back to you is your sense of touch. You are lying on a pretty nice mattress, some pretty nice sheets. It is cool but not cold wherever you are, and there is a blanket over you. You feel stiff all over, and your muscles just ache. The second thing that comes back is your hearing. You hear Eleonora's voice going, Whoa, slow down. What the fuck happened? And then you hear Zed's voice. Yeah, uh... Mm. You know how Leo told us his dad sucks? And Eleonora says, I recall, yeah. And Zed shoots back, His dad sucks. You hear him just make a frustrated noise, and you hear floorboards creaking as if somebody is pacing over them. Sounding a little bit muffled, like he's got his hand over his face. Zed says, Yeah, he's been out for a while now. Ah. Shit. I'm aware that the good boyfriend thing to do right now would be to go back in that room, but I fucking- I can't, Eleonora. I can't. Eleonora says, All right, calm down. We're gonna hear if anything happens. The door's open. We can stay out here for a minute. And Zed kind of cuts her off and says, I need you to make sure I don't leave the house. There's a long pause. Then Eleonora says, Oh. That's, yeah, I can do that. Do you want me to tell anybody else that they should be watching the doors, or? And Zed says, God, no, just please don't. I, (sighs) shit. (sighs) 
more pacing sounds. Am I able to move or get up or anything? Are you going to try to? Yeah, upon hearing how upset Zed is, absolutely. Go ahead, actually, and roll me a con check. How low DC is it? Because that was a seven. You open your eyes, try to sit up, and your muscles just lock up. It hurts like a son of a bitch, Leo. He freezes halfway to sitting up and just collapses back onto the bed and goes, Ah! Oh my god, ow! Dead fucking silence from the hallway for a second. And then, very suddenly, Eleonora and Zed are both in the doorway. Zed makes eye contact with you for a second and just freezes. He has very obviously been, if not actively crying, then trying really hard not to. Eleonora, however, stalks into the room and just kind of plops down on the bed next to you and reaches out to rub the heel of her hand up and down your arm. All right, valuable lesson learned about asking for help when we're injured. What do you need? Leo bats her off and tries to sit up again and goes, ah, and then falls back onto the mattress. Yeah, that was my mistake, thinking that you learn a lesson after you do something stupid the first time. She kind of waves a hand at you and goes, hey, lights are on in there. Is anybody home? Fucking lay down. <clears throat> Where, where's Fee? Is Fee okay? Uh, as far as I could tell when I got in, she's destroying your aunt's topiary. Great, that sounds constructive. What? <clears throat> what happened? Zed, from the doorway, clears his throat and reaches up to rub the back of his neck and says, Well, uh, after you, uh, stabbed your old man, good job, he casts some kind of fucked up spell and, um, <clears throat> he clears his throat again and nods to himself a couple times. Uh, you went down pretty hard. It was not great. Um, hmm. And uh, you've been out since. So. Go ahead and roll me an insight check really quick. 19. Zed is on a fucking razor's edge psychologically. <laughs> He's just standing there kind of fidgeting awkwardly. He won't quite look at you. So I didn't get him. I mean, you got him pretty good. Not good enough. Eleonora, can you go check on my sister? I need to know she's okay. Eleonora raises her eyebrows, rubs her hand down your arm one more time, looks from you to Zed and then back to you, and then says, Ah, uh, yeah, I can do that. And then she's going to reach forward, pat your cheek, kiss you on the forehead, and say, Stop moving. All right? Uh, yeah, can do. Leo waits until she's out of the room and then turns back around to look over at Zed. Look, I 
No, it seems bad, but it's fine. It's... It's how his magic works. He didn't actually do anything to me. I'm not hurt. Zed makes a noise that's hard to interpret. It's somewhere between a laugh and a sob, really. <laughs> uh, the uh, way you were screaming down there says different, boss. Yeah, well, welcome to dealing with my father. I'm used to it at this point, but I get how it can be jarring for someone who's not. Oh, you get how it can be jarring, huh? I. Zed just kind of stops and puts both hands over his face and just leans against the doorframe. You scared the shit out of me. I I'm sorry. I thought I had a shot at stopping all of this here and now. <laughs> you... Mm. And he kind of scrubs his hands down his face. You could have gotten yourself killed. Fuck, I thought you did. That's twice now. I... Fuck, I can't keep doing this. Honey, I've got some bad news about you choosing to love someone who's trying to save the world. This shit could kill me. It's probably going to. Yeah, that's a risk on a fucking perk, Leo. You don't need to help it along. And you've been looking for an excuse since Daredevil. Or did you think I wasn't going to recognize that? Leo pushes himself up enough to sit back against the headboard and looks Zed in the eye. And he fully bursts into tears. <laughs> I'm so tired. Zed's fast. He's across the room in two seconds. He just sits on the bed next to you, fully pulls you into his arms up against his chest tucks your head under his chin and starts rocking. Leo is like ugly crying. Big full body sobs just clinging to him. He like tilts his head to press his face into your hair and just says you gotta stop doing this shit. I just I want Fuck, this is savvy. I want you to be okay. I want to be happy. I want... I want a lot of shit, but I want you to stop doing this. You asked me why it feels like I'm pushing you away. And I'm sitting here, after one of the worst hours of my life, wondering why you act like the fact that you need help is a reason for me to bolt. want us to be happy, Leo. I really do. And I'm trying not to get spooked and run off like I fucking always do. But I need you to meet me halfway. Leo tries to sit up straighter and roll his shoulders back and be okay. And then realizes that he doesn't have to. 
I've been fucking holding it together and taking care of everybody for the last year, and I... I can't anymore. I need help. I'll meet you halfway. Zed squeezes you a little tighter and nods, still with his face buried in her hair. Okay. I got you. I'm gonna help you. Okay. (sighs) Let's lay down. You're fucking wiped out. And I'm not having a great time either. Let's just lay down and sleep for a little bit. Alright? Leo's gonna kiss him. He's gonna kiss you back. Very softly, very sweetly, and completely without hesitation. And then he pulls back, he presses his forehead against yours, and he smiles a little bit. Let's put a pin in that one, boss. Yeah. Story of our lives, right? Putting a pin in it until we have the chance to be better. I'm exhausted. Stay with me. Zed snorts, <laughs> tugs you around so you're both laying down, and then says, Boss, you'd have to beat me off with a stick if you wanted me to leave at this point. <laughs> I love you. He's still got one hand going up and down your back, and he reaches the other one around to kind of rake through your hair. Yeah, I love you too. Fee, it has been a little while since you had that confrontation with the captain and Sabine and stormed out of the foyer. In that time, you have pretty much destroyed one of your aunt's very nice topiaries in the backyard. Eleonora has come back from the Australian embassy. You see her get caught up on the situation by your aunt in the front room and immediately sprint upstairs. Ravane and Verity come back from their sightseeing tour to a fully armed security system that Adra has turned on that does shoot bolts of white-hot magic at them as they come toward the front door. They scream loudly and then also get caught up. Everybody in the aftermath of all this madness seems to kind of be retreating into themselves. You don't see a lot of people out moving around the house, and you don't really see anybody talking to each other. You are walking back through the empty foyer when you see Eleonora come jogging down the stairs. She stops at the bottom, nods at you. All right, you're alive. Uh, sure am. Did you need something? Yeah, a million gold, a stiff drink, and a therapist, but that's not what we're here to discuss right now. Leo was asking about you. He sent me down to check on you. Oh shit, he's awake? Her eyes flick back up the stairs, and she crosses her arms over her chest. Uh, yeah. Pretty worse for wear, but he's resting. Zed's with him. Her jaw sets very hard, and her folded arms tighten just a bit. I should have been here. I shouldn't have been dicking around at the embassy. If I'd been here, I could have done something. I... Fuck. No, you probably couldn't have. Uh, Leo would have just gotten my girlfriend to send you away or hold you back. 
Not that I'm furious with him or anything. You know, that would be a bad look right now. Eleonora cringes and makes an uncomfortable noise like, oh. It's fine. Eleonora uncrosses her arms and kind of puts both hands up. Hey, not my circus, not my monkeys. I just ask that you uh, refrain from raining hellfire down on him for a little bit longer. He's had a pretty rough day, it looks like. I had the displeasure of meeting your old man while I was at the embassy, by the way. He's a real dick. And your stepmother seems like a piece of work, too. <sighs> True on both counts. Uh, we're working on it. Speaking of my girlfriend, I have a couple things to discuss with her if you've seen her around. Eleonora makes that cringing sound again. Uh, yeah, last I saw her, she and the captain and Erebe were hanging out in the dining room, I think. Great. Uh, if Leo's still awake when you go up there, tell him I'll be up in a bit. I'll do respect for Aura. I'm going to pass on that. I think subjecting him to gut-wrenching fear right now is probably a bad idea. I'm not going to yell at him until he's upright. Uh, you got it. Eleanor gives you this snappy little two-finger salute and turns around, trots back up the stairs. What are you doing? I'm gonna go talk to Sabine and Arave since she's there and she also needs to be in this conversation. You head back to the dining room where Eleanor indicated that they were hanging out the last she saw them. And within the past few hours, it appears to have been turned into a makeshift war room. You see Sabine and Erebe hunched over the dining room table where there has been a big city map of Valdur rolled out across the surface, kind of moving what look to be little pieces from board games that they have been able to scavenge around on it, like tactical markers. They both have their heads together, conversing very hushed, and the captain is just sitting at the head of the table with a cup of tea that you see him suddenly reach down to his side and tip a flask into before taking a long sip. None of them see you come in. Sabine has her back to you, and she's just pushing around, like, the car piece from Fantasy Monopoly across a couple city blocks on this map. Okay, so I want us to have at least three exit routes out of the city, in case shit breaks really bad. We've already got this route to the east, but if they shut down the bridges, we're gonna have to reevaluate that whole thing. Arave clicks in a couple of the zoom-in lenses on her goggles and frowns. Uh, we could perhaps consider a nautical route. Captain, do you think you could get the Banshee up here? The captain drains his cup of spiked tea and goes, Ah, <laughs> uh, not without the world's biggest and longest-lasting invisibility spell ever, lass. Fee's gonna go sit down at the table. Sabine goes to put another board game piece down on this city map, looks up, sees you, and immediately goes to turn on her heel and leave. Sabine, sit down. Her shoulders go rigid where she's been walking away from you, but then she slowly pivots and sinks to sit in a chair next to the captain. Right. Uh... Don't stop on my account, but the three of us, and Fee gestures at Sabine and Erve, need to have a discussion. Captain, if you'd like to leave, you are more than welcome. 
The captain's eyebrows pinch together and he frowns a little bit. Eh, I'd hate to leave an important conversation, especially if it has anything to do with the plans that we're making here, so... Sabine brings one hand up to pinch at the bridge of her nose. (sighs) She means get out, sweetheart. The captain looks frantically back and forth between you and Sabine, and you can just kind of hear the cogs gnashing together in his head as he tries to think his way through this and do the math. But finally, he claps, stands up, and nods briskly at both of you. Right then, I'll just be, uh, hitting the old dusty trail. The uh, good afternoon to you, lasses. And he hustles out really quick. Okay. Feed's gonna wait for him to leave and then cross her arms on the table. So, I have good reason to believe that Alasha is calling most of the shots for one side of the Beacon Schism. And now that she knows that both of you are here and working with us, we should make sure that we're all up to speed. Don't you think? Sabine and Arave both look very confused. They look at each other across the table and frown. Sabine goes like she's going to say something and then clams back up and stares back down at the table. But Arave pushes her goggles back up onto her forehead and goes, Nobody calls the shots in the beacon feed. That's not how it works. Elasha Dakarin calls the shots wherever she is. If you don't think that's what she's doing, then it's working. She was giving orders to Defiance. Fee kind of cuts her eyes sideways at Sabine. From the beginning of the schism, as far as I was able to gather in our most recent conversation. And if that's the case, we have no idea who else is in her pocket. So we should probably try and figure that out before one of us gets a knife in the back. Sabine's posture goes absolutely rigid. She's still looking down at this city map sprawled across the dining room table, but her hands where they are resting on top of the paper clench into fists. She was giving orders to defiance from the beginning of the- No, no, because that would mean that she- I called her out on it, she admitted it right to my face. Sabine's mouth is just hanging open in disbelief. And then she closes her eyes, shakes her head, kind of runs her tongue along the point of the one gold canine that she has. And you see her fists go white knuckled. Very slowly, she stands up from her seat and leans down onto the table with her weight on her fists. Well, trusting Alasha has always been a losing bet. I just didn't think that... If you'll excuse me. She spins on her heel with a jingle and goes stalking back into the kitchen. Sabine, we need to... (sighs) Right, no, that's fair. There's a long moment of silence where you and Erevé are just staring at each other. And then from the kitchen, you hear the sound of some kind of glassware hitting a wall. Arave grimaces and reaches down to shuffle around a couple more of the board game pieces on the city map. 
Well, at least you don't have to worry about me destroying any heirloom dishware. I've been well aware that Alasha had a hand in both of my parents' deaths for quite some time now. However, the question of who she has in her pocket and the damage that they could potentially do is one that we need to address. Ever since the end of the war, Vogvoldor has an Australian presence, which means it has a beacon presence. We'd be foolish to discount that. Yes, we would. Especially if we're trying to make political maneuvers. Anything we want to keep secret, we have to make very sure that there's no way it can get back to my father. Which means that we have to make doubly sure that there's no way it gets back to Alasha. Well, in that case, the safest course of action sounds to me like we just don't trust anyone that could even potentially be in the beacon. I hate to cast aspersions or step on any toes, but it shouldn't go unnoted that Kalesa and Fenandris rotate very closely to Alasha. And I don't think it should go unnoted that Eleonora disappeared to the embassy today without any input from the rest of us. I'm not saying that they're actively working against us. I'm saying that if they fuck up, it could be catastrophic. Fee puts her head in her hands for a second and nods and says, Yeah, uh, I think as soon as Leo's up and about, all of us need to be vetted under a Zen of Truth spell. We don't have room for nice sentiments about how much we trust and care about our friends. We have to be practical, or we all risk getting killed. So, no secrets, no lies. That's a good thought process, and it's one that I agree with, but in my own personal experience, I have learned that the best way to keep a secret is to make sure that it dies with you. I have learned the very, very hard way that putting stock in other people, even people you trust, either means watching them die or watching them kill someone else that you love. At the end of the day, that's why I was hiding in the woods. That's why my parents' research dies with me. I don't know if you're soliciting my opinion here, but I'll give it to you anyway. Whatever we do next, I think we should cut Kalesa and Fen out of it. Because if we don't, it will result in them getting hurt or them hurting us. She stands up, dusts her hands off on the front of her pants, and nods at you. We've all had a rough day, Ferrara. I hope yours ends better than it started. And she walks out of the dining room in the opposite direction that Sabine just left. Good talk, I guess. Leo, you wake up from your second nap of the day. This one's significantly more restful than the first. To an absence in the bed next to you. And a pair of ginormous, magnified dark eyes staring down at you. Oh god, I know what this is. It's sleep paralysis demons. Nope. Worse. It's Lorelai Shagrana. She is standing next to your bed, staring down at you, eyes huge. 
there is a long moment where she does not say anything. And then she says, I was waiting for Zed to leave. <clears throat> yeah, Zed's gone. That's a whole thing. Lorelai, you shouldn't be here. Well, I heard, um, all of the screaming earlier, and I didn't want you to think that I didn't want to check on you, but I also didn't want to talk to Zed, so I waited for him to go down and get dinner. Leo pushes himself up to sit back against the headboard and winces really hard. I'm... I'm okay. You don't need to worry about me. I know that that was probably really scary. Lorelai takes a step back and wraps both arms around herself. I wasn't scared. I was just concerned because I didn't know what was going on again. And um, Talinda told me to hide somewhere safe. And I didn't know where it was safe because I heard your dad downstairs. She unwraps her arms and just like puts her hands down at her side and just kind of clenches and unclenches her fists and says, and I really wanted to go down and hurt him. I wanted to really bad. Yeah, I did too. And it didn't work out so good for me. I... God, Lorelai, come here. And Leo scooches over on the bed and just kind of holds his arms open. Lorelai hops up on the bed with you and just hugs you really hard. Roll perception really quick. It's low DC. Nat 20, 28. I'm so sorry you used that on a DC 10 roll, buddy. Where Lorelai's face is pressed against your chest in this hug. There is a suspiciously wet patch growing in your shirt. As you have your arms wrapped around her, she is just kind of trembling just a little bit. Leo's not capable of a lot of movement right now, but whatever he is capable of, he uses to just yank her in a little tighter and kind of pet her hair down. I'm glad you didn't make it out there. It was bad. Lorelai, face still buried in your shirt, says, I'm really tired of him hurting people I love when I can't do anything but hide, Leo. I'm really tired of letting him hurt people I love when I can't do anything but hurt myself to try to stop it. You, uh, you want to help me up? I think I'm ready to stand. Oh, okay. Um, Lorelai pulls back. You can see for the second before she brushes them away, she has just ridiculous tear tracks going down her face. Brushes them off, nods to herself, and readjusts her glasses as she stands up in a gesture that is very reminiscent of Soren. She stands up and holds a hand out to you. Leo takes her hand and uses that point of contact to help keep him upright as he stands up and then wraps his free arm around Lorelai's shoulders so he can keep her up, too. You and Lorelai, arms around each other, walk out into the hallway, and with spectacular timing, 
Fee gets up the stairs and rounds the corner. She stops. Lorelai also stops, which means that you stop. And then Fee nods and she says, Well, you shouldn't be out of bed, but you're upright, which means I can yell at you. Oh, Lorelai, suddenly I feel faint. I, I think I should go lay back down. Let's go back in the bedroom. I'm going to roll to see if Lorelai picks up on the fact that you are just saying that to get away from Fee. <laughs> yeah, um, with an eight, Lorelai is like genuinely concerned. She goes, oh, crap, I'm sorry. Um, Here, let's. And then she starts to tell you back into the room. And Fee from down the hall says, you know what, Lorelai, I've got him. Have you had dinner yet? You should go downstairs and get some dinner, Lorelai. I think that would be a really good idea. And Fee cuts her eyes sideways at you. Leo cringes super hard and kind of turtles down into his shirt. Oh, yeah, yeah, you should go do that, Lorelai. I'll be, I'll be fine. Lorelai looks at you and looks at Fee and then says, Okay, then. And she waits for Fee to come over and get you by the shoulders. She squeezes your one shoulder just a little bit too tight. And then Lorelai heads off. Fee toes you back into your room and unceremoniously lets you just drop onto the bed and then starts pacing the length of the room for a second. Leo scrunches up with his back against the headboard and wraps his hands around his knees. Okay, so just to save us some time here, I've already been yelled at by a lot of people today. I can do kind of a bullet-pointed list. Point A, I'm stupid. Point B, I shouldn't have done that. Point C, I could have gotten myself killed. Fee, still pacing, says, I would say point D is the fact that Sabine and I are fighting over you now, but uh, I'm trying to arrange my thoughts, and I'm debating whether I should go alphabetical order or start with the thing that makes me the most mad and just go from there. Uh, you should probably just vent in order of urgency. I can take it I got most of the crying out when Zed yelled at me. No, no, I vented earlier. I'm going to be systematic about this now. Fee keeps pacing a couple more lengths of the room. Speaking of Zed, he appears in the doorway after Fee has paced a few more times and stops and looks between the two of you and says, Uh, am I interrupting something or... And without looking at him, Fee says, Yes, you are. Over Fee's shoulder, Leo makes eye contact with Zed and silently mouths, help. Zed looks at you and grimaces and says, All right, how about we all just take a second, try and simmer down. And Fee says, Get out, Zed. Zed looks at her and then looks back at you, Leo, and mouths, Sorry. And then to Fee, he says, Yep, you got it. And he gives her a two-finger salute, and he pulls the door closed behind him. As his footsteps fade down the hallway behind the closed door, Leo yells, Traitor! <laughs> After one more round of the room, Fee finally stops and comes and sits on the bed next to you and says, You know, actually, I'll let you pick where we start. Uh, should we go with 
you going behind my back to ask Sabine to help you out with your stupid plan? Should we start with your continued self-destructive streak? Or should we start with how utterly infantilizing and demoralizing it is to know that you do not trust me enough to let me in on your plans at this point? After everything we've been through the last year. Leo's eyes narrow at her, and he adopts a very defensive posture for a second, but then realizes what he's doing, relaxes, and leans back against the headboard. I do trust you. I trust you with my life. I trust you to save my ass when I do stupid, impulsive shit, and that's why I couldn't tell you. Yeah, in retrospect, it was an incredibly risky call that I made, and that's why I told Sabine. Because she, out of all of us, has the most experience doing survival math, and could get on my level of thinking that I could have stopped it. All of it, here and now, I could have stopped it. And you gotta give me a little credit, I almost did. <laughs> Except for the fact that he apparently has self-healing abilities that neither of us knew about before now, and fixed himself up right after he took you down. Leo frowns. Self-healing ability. That's not possible, Fee. Father's a sorcerer, not a cleric, and his particular skill set has never been built towards healing anything. Alright, then let's find an alternate explanation for how I fired off the strongest witch bolt I could muster at him, and that still didn't take him down. <laughs> What's your explanation there? Did you miss, or was it perhaps the fact that I was deeply terrified because my brother had just collapsed to the ground, screaming like he was being skinned alive, that maybe messed with my aim? Perhaps it was my mistake, Leo. And then she just kind of puts her hands up and says, Nope, too upset with you to sit. And then she stands up and starts pacing again. Leo raises both eyebrows at her and sits up a little straighter where he's been leaning against the headboard. Well, I know I didn't miss. I'm fairly certain I felt myself get him right in the spleen immediately before, as you so illustratively said, I went down screaming like I was being skinned alive. That's not what it felt like, by the way. It was worse. Pardon me for needing some clarification on what happened next. So the old man can heal himself. That's fun new information that we have now. It's not information that I had when I had five seconds to make a decision to maybe stop all of us from dying. We had seconds. It wasn't like we had time to sit down for a war council. It was a hard call to make, and I made it. Because somebody had to. I don't know if you've noticed, Fee, but I don't enjoy being the one that makes all the hard calls. And I enjoy it a hell of a lot less when everyone around me acts like I have some sort of secret agenda against them when I don't make one perfectly. Fee kind of stops pacing as you're going off, facing away from you. There is a long moment of silence. After you stop talking, you hear her take a deep breath, and then... (laughs) 
Leo cringes again and then flops back against the headboard and kind of scoots over in the bed. <sighs> well, now I feel like an asshole. Come here. She turns around. She is just ugly crying. She reaches up, presses the heels of her hands just into her eyes for a second and goes, You are an asshole. <laughs> And then she walks over and just sits on the bed next to you. Hesitantly, Leo reaches out and just starts rubbing little circles into her back. Fee is very obviously trying really hard to keep herself under control, but it is not working. <laughs> Fuck, I thought you were dead. I thought you were dead for, for a good second there. I... know what any of us would have done because none of us has a fucking plan for this and father would have still been here and you would have just pissed him off and I <laughs> I was really scared I'm sorry I'm sorry I scared you but it wasn't it wasn't you it was me and I was the one that was wrong. So, yeah, you're mad at me. You should be. But Fee, please just be mad at me and my bad decisions and my bullshit. Don't be mad at this idea you've got in your head that I don't trust you or I don't love you. Because that's not true. You can keep yelling at me later, but right now I just want to go check in on everybody else, so can you just help me get to wherever they all are right now? Yeah, um, can I just, can I just have a minute first? Yeah, Kimrel knows you've earned it. He's going to lean back up against the headboard with one arm kind of propped up like it would wrap around her if she wants that. Yeah, if he's going to lean in and hug you super hard. I think you two just stay like that for a minute. And then she helps you get downstairs. Fee, you help your brother down the stairs into the sitting room where your party plus your aunt, uncle, and cousins are all sort of sitting around on various pieces of furniture. Lark is metaphorically and kind of physically butting heads with Nora in front of this weird artifice-looking device in one corner of the room. It's this big wooden casing with big open spaces in the middle that have fabric stretched across them. And in the top of it, there is this gleaming crystal that is pulsing slowly. Lark is trying to fiddle with a round metal dial underneath this crystal, and you see Nora smack their hand away. They pout and go, Mom, come on, my stories are coming on in like four minutes. I need to keep up. What if I get behind? Nora glares at them and goes, I'm listening to the news, Lark. Sit down. Lark folds themselves meekly 
onto a sofa next to Verity and starts chatting with her. As your Aunt Nora is staring intently at this device, and it makes a weird crackling noise. You hear this tinny, distorted music coming out of it, followed by an unfamiliar voice. Hello, and welcome to the Evening News, hosted by the Vogvolda Broadcasting Network. Our top story tonight. Security has dramatically increased around the Australian Embassy in Volda proper, leaving folks wondering what's about to happen given the most recent military tensions. The Emperor assures the populace that all is well and that there's nothing to worry about. In other news, much-coveted invites to the annual gala at the Volduran Museum of Art and Artificing have started to roll out. More on that at 11. You and Leo make your way into the sitting room, and several heads turn back towards you. Eleonora has been sitting at a small side table with your Uncle Aaron, poring excitedly over a blueprint and chatting with him about it. She whips her head to the side as you two walk in, and her eyes get very big. Oh god, what are you doing out of bed? You need to sit down. Ravane, who has up until this point been very cozily cuddled on a love seat with Verity, stands up, walks over, grabs Leo by his shoulder, and shakes him a little bit. Okay, you're alive. Good to see that. You should not be upright right now. Leo, still leaning against you for support, shifts a little uncomfortably and goes, I'm. Okay, I'm fine. I just wanted to come check in on all of you. Zed, up until this point, has been sitting pretty silently on a large sofa in front of a big fireplace in the sitting room and kind of just reaches down next to him and lifts up the edge of a big, cozy-looking knitted blanket. It's all good, boss. Everybody's home. Adra's got the security system up. We're all caught up on what's going on. Lark's been trying to catch us up on this audio drama that they're listening to, where somebody's evil twin just came back from the dead. You can take a load off. Feet, you were close enough to this couch that Leo is able to brace his hand against the back of it, sit down, and take the blanket that Zed is offering and wrap it around the two of them. He immediately relaxes. As soon as he pulls away, Fee kind of wraps her arms around herself and leans back away from everybody. Are Sabine and the captain there? Sabine is poring over the various bookshelves in the sitting room, occasionally leaning down over the side of a sofa to whisper a question to Adra, and then standing back up, going back through the multiple volumes on these shelves. You have no idea where the captain is. Fee's gonna clear her throat, still kind of leaning away from everybody. <clears throat> Given how uh, upsetting today has been, has anybody seen my boyfriend? Sabine freezes halfway through pulling a volume off of this bookshelf and does not make eye contact with you. 
Well, shortly after our conversation in the dining room, he mentioned that he needed to get some air. I would check the front yard or the backyard. When things get this rough, he likes to have the sky over him. Right. I'll do that. Fee does not look at her. She's just going to head outside and try to find the captain. The captain is in the backyard, just laying flat on his back in the grass with a long-stemmed pipe in his hand that he is repeatedly lighting and taking deep drags off of. You come out the back door and see that he is staring up at a very thin sliver of visible night sky up over your heads kind of half-shadowed by the caldera of this big volcano that Baldur is built inside of. And he just kind of shrugs, laughs, and goes, <laughs> Good to see you, lass. Beautiful night we got for it. Look at all those stars. Fee's gonna sit down next to him, and she's gonna say, I can't be in this house any longer. And I just thought of a really, really stupid idea. And I need backup. He leans forward enough to perch himself on his elbows and looks over at you. A stupid idea, he said. Well, not to flatter myself over much, but if it works, it'll be pretty smart. (sighs) If... It strikes me I have some things to apologize for, lass. Fee pulls her knees very close to her chest and just wraps her arm around them. Oh. Sabine and I were wrong. And I can't apologize for her. But I shouldn't have tried to hold you back. Especially not when I know that at the end of the day, nothing and no one can. like trying to hold back a storm and it's what made me fall in love with you in the first place I had a moment of cowardice I should have been by your side instead of trying to keep you by mine and it won't happen again all I ask is that if you're thinking of doing something stupid and dangerous take me with you By all means, Captain. And if he's gonna get to her feet, brush grass off of her skirt, and hold a hand out to him. He takes her hand without hesitation. There's a good lass. Let's go cause some problems. So, Leo. You are back in the sitting room... All is quiet for a while. You are comfortable enough to almost start drifting back into your trance. Just cuddle up against Zed's side. He's rubbing your back with one hand and holding on to one of yours with the other. Your Aunt Nora is listening to the news. She's got her fingers steepled in front of her mouth and her elbows propped up on her knees. Eleonora 
and your uncle are still poring over various plans for buildings that he's worked on. Eleanor is having the time of her fucking life. Lark, being bored, offers to dye Verity's hair after a minute, and Verity, having very little impulse control, (laughs) says yes, and the two of them retreat to the back of the sitting room. You can smell the hair dye, it's gross. Verity, I think, pipes up. Why does this smell weird? Lark, busily painting her hair bubblegum pink, says, Nobody really knows, but it's all part of the process, babe. And Verity just goes, Okay, I guess. Ravane, who has been abandoned on the love seat by his girlfriend, walks over to a chess table that's pushed up under the window, and he and Arave start going at a game very spiritedly. Lorelai wanders in after a minute and just kind of sits on an armchair by herself. Leo's going to curl his legs up and pat at the end of the sofa, looking at Lorelai. Roll persuasion with advantage. Dirty 20. Lorelai hesitates, shoots a kind of perturbed look at Zed, who is just ignoring her. And then she hops up from her armchair, crosses the room, and settles down at the end of the sofa next to you. Leo wraps one arm around her shoulders and then leans back into Zed's chest. You're all chilling out there for a while. Selica is talking to Adra about something that she has artificed into her chair. You're not really sure what's going on there. You get the impression that Adra has tricked out her chair quite a bit, and Celica is mind-boggled by some of the additions and would like to know more. Sabine is kind of still standing by your uncle's bookshelves. She looks awkward and out of place and a little bit upset. You're relaxing there almost long enough to fall back into your trance. And then Sabine kind of pipes up. Should someone go check on Fee and the captain? I don't think. And then she kind of sucks her teeth and grimaces. I don't think either of them would particularly like it if I did that right now. I mean, I could, um, yeah, Zed, you want to help me get out there? Zed, from where you're leaning against his chest, says, Uh, how about no? I'll handle it. You stay laying down. And then he kind of ever so gently extricates himself out from under you and just lays you down on the couch. And he's starting to head out of the sitting room when, from the radio that your Aunt Nora's listening to, you hear a clatter and a smashing sound, and the sound of the newscaster yelling, What the hell do you think you're doing? And then you hear a very familiar voice say, All right, gentlemen, stand up against the wall and no one has to get hurt. From the couch, Leo looks very pointedly over at Sabine. Sabine has whipped around to stare at where this noise is coming from in horror. 
said, I'm going to recommend you get over here and hold me because if you don't, I'm going to go absolutely off the shits. Lark has gone completely still in favor of staring at where the sound is coming from with their mouth agape. But Verity pipes up from where she's getting her hair dyed. Wait, why is the captain on the news? Did I miss something? And from this artificed contraption, you hear your sister's voice say, Sorry, everyone, this won't take long. I just have a few things to say. Leo reaches down and grips at Zed's forearm so hard that his fingernails might actually draw blood. He's very sorry about this. Zed winces, but he has come over to hold you, and he is just also staring. From behind you, Sabine just starts muttering, Son of a bitch, son of a bitch, son of a bitch, you two. And from this contraption, your sister audibly leans closer to wherever her voice is being transmitted from, and says, A quick message to the residents of Vogvaldur and especially to any Asturian emigrants affected by the outrageous embargoes and downright acts of war that have been committed by the Asturian crown in the past year. I am Grand Duchess Ferora Valsine. I and my brother Laryl are both alive and well. And I will not sit idly by as my name is turned into a war cry. And, if he's listening, I have a message for my father. On behalf of both of your children, your move. Leo reaches down and grips super hard at Zed's hand. God fucking damn it, Fee. And that's where we're going to wrap this week. Welcome to season three, everybody. (laughs) Aren't you tired of being nice? Don't you just want to go ape shit? Yeah, that's the working title for this season. We'll see more of it next time. Uncompelled Duel. Hey everybody, Barry here with the postscript, just clearing up a couple housekeeping things here at the end of the episode. Welcome to the third and final season of our first campaign, everybody. As always, I'm going to go ahead and plug our social medias. You can find us on Twitter, Tumblr, and TikTok at CompelledDuel. We also have lots of other cool stuff going on, an official Spotify profile, an official website. You can find all of those things linked on our various social media profiles. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, we ask that you head on over to patreon.com slash compelled duel and take a look at some of our patron rewards. These include things like early access to episodes, access to bonus content, access to exclusive playlists on the Spotify account, and even handwritten wax sealed letters from your favorite character every month. A special thank you to our newest patron, Hannah Jones. Thank you so much for your support.
And if you are interested in supporting the podcast in ways other than pledging to our Patreon, we ask that you consider leaving us a rating and a review if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, since that helps get the show promoted to a wider audience. We do host a weekly Q&A show on our YouTube channel where we talk about the latest episode and answer your questions, so we would love to see you hanging out for that. Just go subscribe to us on YouTube. If you search Compelled Duel, we should be the first one that pops up. And as always, if you're liking what you're hearing on the podcast, we ask that you just tell a couple friends about it. Word of mouth advertising is so, so, so important to us, and it's the best thing we've got going for us. So if you like it, tell a friend. If they like it, ask them to tell a friend as well. Our next episode is going to be going live on Friday, December 24th, 2021. Or if you are a member of our Patreon, you'll be getting your early access on Thursday, December 23rd. Happy holidays, everybody, and we will see you next week.